Well, good morning. As always, I uh, I love to see love to see the guys that can fit in their uniforms. Um, <clears throat> somebody asked me this morning, "Why aren't you wearing your uniform?" Because I weighed 175 pounds when I wore that uniform. That's why. Um, it's always nice. I'm a I'm a sucker for a guy in a uniform, definitely. Plus, apparently, if you guys know anything about uniforms and how they're designed and everything, apparently, um, Pastor Rick has been in the Army since World War II. (laughs) I'm not making that up. That's his uniform. That's the uniform. Uh, So a couple of things that we've got that I wanted to let you know about. This is a card. We've been talking about this for the last couple of months, getting this printed. These are out on the other side of that wall right there where all of our life groups are. One of the, one of the holders there has the, uh, these cards in it. And these are talking about <clears throat> your civil rights protection that when you, because I, I've been mentioning, this is going to happen before summer this next year, we're going to have another uh, approach at a pandemic, okay? This card, keep it with you. Or you can take a handful of them, give them to the manager of the grocery store, whatever. When they say that this person can come in because they're masked and this person cannot come in because they're not masked, show them this card. It has the laws on it that says they cannot do that to you. It is against the law for them to do that. And so we printed some stuff up. It's got some statutes on here, some different ways the laws are applied in the back. It gives you uh, some of the legal description of how this works. So that if you desire, you can take the stand and say, I'm I'm not going to act like that. I didn't myself personally, (coughs) excuse me, I didn't wear a mask very long at all. Right at the beginning, I wore it for a little bit because I'm thinking, ah, why are we doing this? But um, after a while, I didn't. And I did get kicked out of a few places, uh, not, not a lot. Most places, everybody just looks at you and whispers a lot. And, uh, and it gives you the opportunity to be like, if that's who you are. So, <clears throat> but take these cards with you. And you can also take more than one. We're going to keep printing them. When they run out, we're going to print some more. But keep it, keep it in your purse um, if you're a guy. And keep it wherever you keep it if you're a lady. And, uh, and then you have this so that you can show them. Take as many as you like. Hand them out to some people. If you have some people in the grocery store that are complaining that you're putting everybody at risk, hand them a card. Tell them. Say, you don't actually know what the law says, and, uh, and it gives you the opportunity to do that. And um, one more thing about <clears throat> just, just because election, I mean, uh, uh, voting day is November 7th, Please, I've talked about this before, I'm not going to belabor the point today, but please vote no on Prop HH. Please, please, please. Um, This is a big deceptive thing that the governor is doing to try to cover up bad policies, getting rid of Gallagher, all this other stuff. This is a result, Prop HH is a cover-up of a result of, of liberal policies, okay? This is why your property tax is so high. Um, so vote no on Prop HH for the main reason is if you, if you don't, you will lose your Tabor refunds forever and Colorado will have no more financial safeguards to stop people in my position from just raising your taxes as much as they want. You cannot stop it without, prop, with, uh, without Tabor and Prop HH will do away with that. 
So we got something pretty exciting to, to show you this morning. We've been, we've been going down this road for a long time, so you know that we're trying to build, we're trying to expand, go right out this, um, right out this wall. In fact, uh, in, the, in the video, you're going to see the back doors of the sanctuary to go into the sanctuary. Those, are, those start about right here, and they go that way. In fact, you'll see those two stained glass windows are above those two doors that are going into the new sanctuary. But we want to show you this video. We also want to um, continue to encourage you. We, we are building. We are doing this. Come up this uh, late spring, we're going to be um, getting the uh, loan for this. And uh, we're going to be building, and I'll explain some more things after that. We've started the landscaping. That's included in the video, uh, some of the ways that it will look, apparently, if we plant 25-year-old trees. So that's, uh, that's kind of how it looks <laughs> as it comes up. But we're pretty excited about this. Uh, look at this video. I believe our church is definitely growing. Um, we see new families in here all the time, new faces. The services are definitely getting a little bit more full. And I think definitely with pastor's political position, he's getting a lot of attention and people are wanting to come and see what our church is all about. We've always had um, a shortage of space, especially Sunday school and children's church and children's ministries. Um, we would meet over at the school. Some of the classes would meet at the school. We'd have some classes out in the foyer. So space has always been a problem. Hey, church family. Let's get ready to make history. God has done so much with us here at Church of Briarcade. We've stood strong on scripture, unwavering in the face of COVID, loving the lost and caring for our community. And when you don't compromise, God blesses you in so many ways. Some of you are here right now because you also have decided to take a stand and serve Jesus. We continue to see God bless us with more families and people that want to know truth. God has blessed us also financially through all of this together. Now, even more important is our church moving to another phase to brighten our facilities, expand our space to grow, and allow us to serve more people to come together and worship. We grew out of this building a long time ago, as many of you have witnessed, and now is the time to do something about this. As you know, we are involved in a giving initiative called One Soul, and it is part of our greater plan to create and expand our ability to serve others as they come to Christ and begin to worship with us in our building. We've been talking about this for some time, but today I'm going to make the vision even more clear for you. We have been working on a conceptual imagery for what the facility will look like. I'm pretty excited about this. So come with me now and imagine what we can accomplish together. It's what the future holds for us here at Church of Briargate.
I think we could accomplish a lot by um, a new building and uh, especially, you know, my heart's with the kiddos and we have four of them and being able to have a larger kids area for us is going to be huge. I'm kind of excited about the expansion because, um, I mean, I just don't feel like there's a lot of space. Like I'm a nursing mom and there's not space like if I have to take her out because, you know, she's being disruptive or she's tired or whatever. Yeah, there's the cafe, but there's not really a lot of comfortable places to sit to, you know, take care of, you know, a nursing baby or a crying baby. This campaign and the work that we're doing and the growth that's happening is not really about a building. It's really about the souls that, that Christ is bringing us to. It's about the one soul. All right, church, it's time to get ready for something special. This is about the future and expanding to meet the needs of our community with excellence. And we need your help. First, we need everyone praying for this project, that it goes smoothly and that everything goes according to the plan as we make plans to renovate and build out our building. I also want you to pray about how God wants you to participate financially and to step out of your comfort zone as you purpose to give in faith. Next. We need to listen. Listen to the voice of the Lord, and in your family or as an individual, listen to how God wants you to participate in faith for the amount to pledge in this initiative. And then finally, I want you to step out and obediently give to see this project get completed. I feel a momentum that is moving us forward, and I think you do too. I want to personally thank you for your generosity and affirm to you my commitment to lead us into this new expansion into a whole new level of ministry for our community. God wants us to rise up and he wants us to be used to accomplish great things for him as we step out in faith for what is next here at Church of Briargate. Did you like that? So you guys know um, how I am, how we are around here. We're not going to be pressuring you all the time. It's not how I look at this. We're not going to be begging you for, to, to give. The way I look at it is if you, if you believe in this, you'll give. Um, if God puts it on your heart, you'll give. If, if you want to be disobedient to God, you won't give. Um, so we don't want to put a lot of pressure, things like that on you at the time. But we're excited about this. If you have any questions of how this goes down or whatever. Also, we do have these uh, cards. These are out there in the foyer too. That uh, they're commitment cards. When, when, you, when you do commitment cards, we're not sending you emails and all that kind of stuff. This is mostly for you. Uh, just, but it also gives us an opportunity to be able to look at the budget. And when we go to a bank, we say these are the amount of people. I've talked to you about this before. But the amount of people giving is as important or more important than the amount um, that we're all giving. That, that shows buy-in and consistency with the church and stuff like that. So, so we'll keep you posted on that. Some of the things that we're going to be doing um, between now and, and um, next spring when we start to build, um, we are, obviously you're seeing this, we're, we're filling up our services. First service was, was fuller this morning than I've ever seen. In fact, the, uh, we had more veterans in first service than second service. Um, this, this is where we're at. We are going to, starting the first week of January, January 7, we're going to go to three services going to try to have a little more space to do things and a little more stuff for uh, children's ministries and things like that. Now, to accomplish that, guys, we're going to need some volunteers 
to push forward into that next step. It's going to take a lot of extra stuff that we need to be doing, worship team things, um, children, nursery. Nursery seems to be one of the biggest that, uh, that we need to, to process. And maybe what you do is you volunteer in one service and then you uh, come to church in another service. Um, I mean, however that looks. And we'll, we'll be lit, setting up schedules and what, and what this looks like. But if you have any interest whatsoever, any desire to be involved, we can teach you, train you. doesn't matter where. If you just say, I think I could do this, we can make sure uh, that you get um, what you need to know how to accomplish that. So come talk to us. Or email the church. Talk to any of our staff. Uh, if, you, if you see, like, if you want to work in the uh, sound booth and you see somebody sitting back there like Michael is right now, Michael's actually in charge of that. Um, but if you see somebody sitting back there, go ask them. They can help you out to know how to get involved in that kind of thing. All right. Now, with all of this, I'm, <clears throat> I'm speaking this morning about um, Gog and Magog. I've been talking about this for a few months that I've been going to do this. We started... Um, we started studying Ezekiel on Wednesday nights. We're not going all the way through. We're just hitting certain things. And I was going to wait until I got to uh, chapter 38, 37, 38, 39 in, on the Wednesday night. But there's just been so much questions, so much stuff going on and everything that's happening in Israel. And I wanted to go ahead and do like uh, part of this. And then in a, in a couple months, I'm going to do kind of the next step of this. Um, because I, there's, there's so much here. And when we get to it on the Wednesday night, we're going to go through it in a lot of depth, okay? I'm going to be hitting highlights this morning when it comes to how much scripture there is involved with this. But to really look at the, the Battle of Gog and Magog, let me give you some uh, preemptive statements up front so that you know. Uh, you can go look at these. You can go study. If you have a question about any of these, come talk to me. But um, Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 is not the same Gog that's in Revelation 20. Okay, that they're, they're different, and, and um, it's not the same battle. Sometimes they just mix those together and say they're the same battle. They're very different. One of the easiest ways to do this is not listen to the people online and go read the Bible yourself. Just look at it and look at the details. Like write down the details. In Revelation 20, they're all burnt up. <clears throat> In Revelation 38, they're not. They lay there for seven months. They're dead bodies, and animals come and eat them and stuff like that. So either God got it wrong, or maybe there are different stories. So when you look at things like that, another thing is, is sometimes people believe that uh, Gog is the Antichrist. <clears throat> Gog in Ezekiel 38, he can't be the one in, in Revelation 20. But uh, those are obviously two different people. But this is one of the reasons that I don't necessarily believe that Gog is the Antichrist in Ezekiel 38. It doesn't mean that guy doesn't become the Antichrist uh, later in Scripture, but I don't think he can, and I'll show you that in Scripture a little bit this morning. But here's the reason. Um, it's the same name in 38 and Revelation 20. Those are very different things. They're separated by over a thousand years. In fact, we know for sure they're separated by more than 1,007 years, okay, because I believe, and I'll explain this later, that uh, this battle happens before the tribulation. Um, there's a lot of different views and beliefs. If you're saying, I think this, and it's different than what I'm saying this morning, Look it up. Go, go, go figure it out yourself. I'm, I'm, um, I am very comfortable pastoring people that believe wrongly. So go look it up and see how, what, what God speaks to you. But um, I don't necessarily think it's the Antichrist because it appears in Ezekiel 38 that, that God dies. Okay? Um, I also think that it is now the reason Gog is used in both places the word name Gog 
is because I think it's the spirit behind it. It's the spirit of Antichrist, and it's the spiritual concept that drives Gog in both places and drives the Antichrist. Um, now, I may be wrong about the short-term Gog being the Antichrist also, but I don't think that he is uh, through the process. Okay? So with all of that, let's jump into Ezekiel 37. The first point here I want to make sure that we see is uh, this: you have to start for understanding the battle of Gog and Magog, and specifically timelines and things like that, and not just uh, 38 and 39, which is the battle, but it also as it goes from 39 into 40, which, is in, which includes the rebuilding of the temple, those all show timelines. For that to happen, there has to be something that happens first, and that is in chapter 37. Let's look at this in verse 11. Um, it says, then he said, this is right after the, thir- the beginning of 37, the whole first part of 37, is uh, the Valley of Dry Bones, right? I don't want to take time to go over that. That's one of the coolest stories in the Bible. In fact, I really wish that um, the guy that made Lord of the Rings would make a movie about this. I think I would watch that all the time. Um, Battle of the, the Valley of the Dry Bones is the coolest thing in Scripture when it comes to visual and all that kind of stuff. And I believe it really happened. Some people think it was imagery. I believe it really happened. I think Ezekiel was going, what, the whole time. So, verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Think about how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that the Jewish people thought that. Since 70 AD when when Israel was sacked and then the temple was destroyed. And then later um, Israel had, Israel's rebuilt some and, and some of the city. And, but, the, but after 70 AD, the Israeli people never really had Israel as their home again in the same way. We'd see even during the Crusades where there was back and forth kind of thinking where they had it some and then they didn't. But it wasn't uh, the same as, as what this is talking about here. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. <clears throat> oh, my people. I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. When did this happen? 1948. Okay, there's no question about that. 1948, God reestablishes the, uh, the people of Israel okay, in their own homeland. This is, uh, this is important that we understand the details, and, and so a couple, a few weeks ago, I read the scripture out of Psalms where it says that they will never be defeated again. Now that they have become a country again, they will never be run out and they will never be defeated. It doesn't matter what Hamas thinks or Hezbollah or Iran or China or Russia or any of those things. Israel will never be run out of their country again. It's their country. Okay. It, they're the people. And I've heard every single philosophy you can imagine. I've read all this in the books. Well, they're not really the, the people of Israel. They're the Edomites, or this isn't really their land. Or they were, None of that stuff is true, guys. None of that stuff is true. Go to the Bible for the information, not some goofball online. Go to the Bible for this stuff. All right? The people of Israel regained their land, regained their country in 1948. Now, sometimes you'll, you'll hear well, different dates um, this is kind of one that gets a little bit of traction every now and then, that the reason that there's some timelines that, that um, eschatology teachers teach that didn't fit, well, then they retroactively come back and say, well, 1948 wasn't the official time they became a country. That was in 1967, 
uh, in the war with Egypt because they took all this extra land and they took their real land. And in 1948, they were only given some of their land. Well, let me help you out with that argument. The Israelites have never, ever taken their full land, ever. Anywhere in the Bible, they never took the full amount of land. You can look at the maps that, that you can get that show you all the land that God said, this tribe here, this tribe here, this. They've never, ever taken all of that land. And in 1967, they took a bunch of what is now called Gaza and stuff like that, and then they gave it right back. And they moved right back above the, the line and uh, gave Gaza back over. I, I did say this um, over the last couple of weeks. And, um, and a bunch of articles, uh, when I say articles written about me, I don't mean nice ones. Nobody writes nice ones. Nobody has ever written a nice article about me. But, um, but Channel 9 News took this up a little bit and, um, because I mentioned that there's no such thing as the Palestinian people. Well, we're recording this, and apparently Channel 9 watches because they showed the video of me saying it. So let me say it clearer. There is no such thing as the Palestinian people. It has never existed. Do some homework, Channel 9. Do some homework. There is no such thing as the Palestinian people. Those were Jordanians and things like that that, were, that started terrorist movements, and they were kicked out of their own country. Tried to go to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia wouldn't take them. Okay, so they settled on the south side of Israel. And now, uh, decades, decades later, this terrorist group... Um, Actually, uh, they think they've got squatter rights and stuff like that. In fact, I saw a great uh, interview. You can look this up. The leader of Hamas uh, was interviewed, and they said, and the guy interviewed him said, what about all these underground tunnels? Wouldn't it be better if all the people in the Gaza Strip and in the Gaza area, wouldn't all the, the, the Palestinians, wouldn't it be better if they went into the tunnels? They'd be safer. And he said... The tunnels are for us warriors. The people above ground are mostly about, he said, 75% refugees anyway. They're the United Nations business, not ours. This is the guy that is the leader of the people. So, but I'm the one getting on the channel and I knew. So, he says, <clears throat> prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will open up your graves and cause you to rise again. This happened in 1948. Now let's jump down to verse 24. My servant David will be their king, and they will have only one shepherd. Now you got to be a little bit confused about this when you first read it, because this was written hundreds and hundreds of years after David was dead. So what does it mean that David will be their king? Well, this is, this is described all through Scripture. This is one of the most descriptive things when we see when it comes to king, kingdom, king of David, um, Jesus, the bloodline. Jesus is often re referenced as the uh, lineage of David, the king of David, the, the, from the, the line from the tribe of Judah, which is David's tribe, all these different things. When we see where it says, in fact, in Psalms a couple of times, um, David is writing this, okay? Remember that. <clears throat> and David says, the Lord said to my Lord. What does he mean by that? And then he says, your throne will last forever. He's talking about himself, his, his bloodline, but he's talking about God speaking to Jesus about this. Okay, so the lineage of Jesus, that's what he's talking about, will have only one shepherd. They will obey my regulations and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave my servant Jacob, the land where their ancestors lived. They and their children, their grandchildren after them, will live forever, generation after generation. My servant David will be their prince forever. 
from generation to generation. This is what I was talking about in Psalms where it is very obvious that once the Jewish people get the land again and become a country again, they never lose it from generation to generation. Oh, I was going to mention, we have a, a new of uh, the generations of people. Um, Allison, is, can you stand up and show everybody the little one? I'm telling you, it's foaling season around here. I've been telling you that. Everybody's having kids. Oh, is Michaela here too? Michaela, you got your baby? Yeah. Why don't you stand up and show us your baby? I tell you. <clears throat> Man, they're small at that age, aren't they? It helps. Mom appreciates that. And my servant David will be their prince forever. Look at this. I will make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant. I will give them their land, increase their numbers. I will put my temple among them forever. Now, this is chapter 37, but he's jumping ahead talking about chapter 39 where the temple is going to be built. Okay, I'll explain timelines in a little bit. But this is, this is important. I will make my home among them. I'll be their God and they will be my people. And when my temple is among them forever, that's millennial reign temple, my nations will know that I am the Lord who makes Israel holy. So let's, let's jump down and let's look at the actual battle. Now, the first thing that has to happen, this is timelines. <clears throat> and this is just reading down through Ezekiel. He's giving us the timelines. The first thing that has to happen before the battle of Gog and Magog is Israel has to be a country again. Now, what happens in 1948 when Israel became a country again is everything, the clock, it's like they reached over and hit the clock and it started. And I don't think we put enough emphasis on this um, and understanding how it fits into our world today. I, I've been preaching and I've been listening to people preach for years that we are approaching the end times. Guys, I believe that we are now in the end times, and we are now approaching the tribulation. We're approaching the last stuff, but we're in the end times now. And part of the reason that we know that is because Israel became a nation, and that's the big thing that kicks everything else off. Okay? Scripture says that Israel, I talked about this a couple months ago when I was talking about the rapture, um, says that uh, Israel will become a nation again, and God will bring them back to, the, to their land, and then... That generation will not die away until the end happens, okay? The end will come before that generation dies. Now, a lot of times people take inscriptions and say, well, a generation is 20 years or a generation is 40 years or whatever the case is. That, that's, that's not the way I think Scripture shows it. I think Scripture shows in Psalms that uh, we live for 70 to 80 years. That's my... I may be part of a generation, but my generation doesn't die until the last person in my generation dies, right? I, my generation is how long I live. Scripture says we have 70 to 80 years. Israel became a nation in 1948, and that we are 75 years from that. We are in that 70 to 80 year window, and I think Jesus is about to come back. We're in that 70 to 80 year run. Now, at year 81, I, I have to stand up here and say, I don't know, I missed it. I don't know why this is happening. I'll go back and try to make something up. But I, at this point, at this point, I'm basing it on Scripture. Scripture says 70 to 80 years, we're at 75 years. That should concern us. But in a good way, because Jesus is coming back, and then we don't have to deal with this stuff. We don't have to deal with all this junk. I think about this a lot. If my kids were little, man, I would be, <clears throat> Jesus, come back right now. 
I don't want them to have to deal with the stupidity that's going on in our public domain, in our public schools, and all the stuff. <clears throat> we're going to have, the, next Sunday, we're going to have um, a table set up in the foyer outside, depending on the weather, and we're going to give you an opportunity, if you desire, to sign a petition that has to do with all of the, the books and the grooming books and the pornography books and all the stuff that's coming into public schools that are trying to convince kids that they can choose whatever gender they want. We're going to have a, a petition to sign against that that says we're going we're to vote to take this out. We're going to stop this, and we're going to make school boards be accountable to this kind of stuff. Guys, I can't imagine trying to have a, a third grader today and every day you're wondering if this kid's going to come back thinking they're the opposite sex. And, and let me help you with the, the terminology, the opposite sex. Why? Because there's only two. That's the reality. doesn't matter what people say. People are not bigger than God. They're not bigger than biology. They're not bigger than creation. They just want to be. But they're not. And here's the rest of this. They're not bigger than God when it comes to this battle. And, and, and one of the big things we see about the battle of Gog and Magog is how God declares himself. Okay? Verse 1 of Ezekiel 38. This is another message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, turn and face Gog of the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshesh and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Give him this Prophesy against him, even though that God is going to use... These, uh, these uh, armies, he's the one who puts the hooks in them and pulls them in. He's prophesying against them. Because even though God is using them, we see this all through the Old Testament. Even though God has used uh, people groups to, to uh, discipline the uh, Jewish people, God doesn't, it's not like he's on the side of the people doing it. They always get punished. They always get punished for this. Okay. Give them this message. Uh, Gog, I am your enemy. I will turn around and put hooks in your jaws to lead you out with your whole army, your horses and charioteers in full armor and great horde armed with shields and swords. Persia. Now the next one here in the New Living Translation is Ethiopia. That is, I don't like that because when they put the word Ethiopia, they're not wrong, but they're not right. Okay. The reason is, is if, the, if you see the word Ethiopia, if you're not careful, what you do is you'll go to the country of Ethiopia right now and say, oh, that must be what he's talking about. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the area that would potentially include Ethiopia. I wish they would have just left it in the, in the New Living Translation. I wish they would have just left it in the English word Cush. Because we understand when, see, what happens is it gives opportunities for historians to actually go back and study this. When you just put the word Ethiopia, you've got to balance that with, it doesn't mean Ethiopia today. <clears throat> he means the land that would have included part of Ethiopia today, but is actually, well, I'll get to that. Don't rush me. Okay. <clears throat> so he says, um, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya will join you to with all their weapons. Gomer and all its armies will also join you, along with the armies of Beth Togarma, Togarma with the, from the distant north and many others. So here is the breakdown of this. First, Gog is a person, right? But he's from the north, and he's going to be leading the battles of Magog, right? Uh, Magog, if you go back in history, now there's a, there's a few different versions. You can, you can search this online. There's plenty of people that teach about this. And uh, I'm going to give you what I believe is the most consistent that I've seen over the years with the, inf with the historical information with it. 
Some people will add a little bit of area here or there or take some away, but this is basically what it is. The first thing that we know is, as Magog is the area that would be considered when you have Meshesh and Tubal, you put all that together and you're basically talking about the areas that we call uh, Russia now, okay? And uh, the parts of Russia that are coming down toward um, Israel. Okay, Meshesh, one of the, the older words for Meshesh would have been Rosh. Uh, Magog, Rosh would have been included together. Rosh is the name that eventually came, became Russia. In fact, the, the place that we see this in Scripture is after the ark, Noah gets off the ark, and, um, and one of his sons uh, migrates into this area. And this is, this is pretty strongly uh, backed up in, in historical documents. But uh, he migrates toward, and his son establishes in the area that we would call uh, Russia now, okay? Um, east, east, North, East Russia, okay? So now with that, we have, um, no, I'm saying Northwest, not East, West Russia, okay? So with that, we know that Gog takes Magog, the, the armies of Magog, which is basically Russia, and he comes down uh, from the north. Then we have... Um, uh, Gomar, Beth, Torgama from the distant north. This includes the countries of uh, Turkey. Turkey is involved in this. Um, and then coming down, so you go up from Israel and you go up toward Russia, you go up toward Turkey, uh, all of that land, they're going to be coming down and invading. And then you have the, the words that I read, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, or um, instead of Ethiopia, Cush. And, and Cush is most likely um, the Sudan, which is going to include parts of uh, Ethiopia. But you have Sudan, you have Libya, and then Persia. Persia is an easy one, right? Persia is Iran. Uh, they still speak Persian there, so that one's an easy one. Um, and so you have all of these countries. If you take Israel, and I'm going to do this my head backwards for you. So you've got the country of Israel. If you go up into Russia or up into Turkey or you come down through Egypt into northern Africa. These, this is the areas of these countries that are involved. And these are, these are uh, Middle Eastern countries. Let me, let me give you a help. If you do a lot of studying eschatology, let me just throw something out for you to process. I do not believe that the ten horns and all this stuff in Revelation is the Roman Empire being rebuilt. Most people do. That's how we've been looking at it for years. I do not believe that. I believe that these are 10 Arab countries, and I believe they match greatly with the Ezekiel countries. Okay? There is no new Roman Empire going to be built. I believe strongly in that. I may be wrong, but I think this is all... Every, why? Because everything is focused. We talked about this Wednesday night in looking at Ezekiel 10. God calls Israel the center of the earth, not Rome. The Catholic Church calls Rome the center of the earth. We call Israel the center of the earth because we are people of the Bible. And that's what God says. So I think uh, that's kind of the context. So we see all these countries that are above Israel, below Israel, all this kind of stuff, to the side of Israel. Um, Iran is a major big country compared to Israel. Huge compared to Israel. Okay, got all these. There's one country that's missing in this list if you take all of this, and that's Egypt. Egypt is not mentioned. They're there. They were part of the 1967 war, but they're not mentioned in this. <clears throat> and interestingly, we've seen over the last, not even a full decade, but the last five or six, seven years, where Egypt has really started developing a very good, healthy relationship with Israel. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Even 15 years ago, never thought that would happen. Now, I think this is interesting, too, because 
I keep getting asked, this, all this stuff that's going to Israel, is this Gog and Magog? It can't be. I'll explain some of that. One of the easiest ones is in Gog and Magog, battle of that, they never actually attack Israel. They come to attack Israel, but they don't ever attack. We talked about this some Wednesday. But they've already attacked right now. So this is not Gog and Magog. There's some other things uh, why it can't be either. But it's interesting that Turkey, just this last week, Turkey uh, came out publicly and made a, a statement that, that they, are, um, t- they are telling Israel, they're warning Israel to back off of oppressing the Hamas, peop- the Hamas attackers and um, Hezbollah, which is interesting because, you know, they invaded their country and cut off their baby's heads. Israel didn't invade the Gaza Strip. Okay, this is how, how demonically evil this stuff is. It's all lies over there, all lies. And Turkey came out this week and said, if Israel doesn't back off and, and, and cease fire and all this stuff, that they may be joining the fight. Um, that's interesting because they're in the list. While I don't believe this battle is Gog and Magog, I believe it leads up to it and sets the stage. I think we're in that time frame. Okay? If, you, if you think, okay, I don't think the Lord's coming back for another 100 years or 1,000 years, that's fine. I think he is. And I think we see this in Scripture, and I think we see this with what's happening. So we've got all of these different countries, Turkey, Iran, Sudan, Libya, um, Russia, Iran. All of these are going to be coming into toward Israel, okay? So this is, let's go to Ezekiel 38, and let's look at the actual non-battle. Verse 14, Therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. When my people are living in the peace in their land, then you, then you will rouse yourself. I, this one bothered me a little bit, this sentence, uh, because something's wrong. They become a nation again, he says, When my people are living in peace in their land, then you will rouse yourself. I'm thinking, 1948 started the country, but guess what happened the very next day? They were invaded by seven Arab countries the day after they became a country. There has never been peace in Israel. So I looked this up, and I realized that's not actually what it says in in the original language. Here's why. What is the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. That is not used in this sentence. In Hebrew, it's not peace. It is security and strength, not peace. So it should say, when my people are living in strength and security in their land, then you will rouse yourself. And uh, I've actually visited Israel. Wasn't attacked. This is not something I'm just saying or making up. Even now before, before this last few weeks, but even though the, every now and then a bomb would drop or somebody would do something, and specifically after the fence had been built across, Israel is considered one of the safest countries in the world to visit. Did you know that? Because they are a country of strength. Not necessarily peace. They're hated by everybody that surrounds them. But everybody that surrounds them will not attack them. Why hasn't Iran attacked Israel? You say, well, because America's standing by. Not since Obama's been president. Obama gave him $300 billion in, in coins and $1 bills or something. I don't know exactly how it went down. But they, we haven't been friends with Israel since Obama took office. The short time Trump was in office, he tried to rebuild that, put the, the, um, the embassy in, in Jerusalem, did some very pro-Israel things. But our, 
our president is not pro-Israel right now. In fact, he came out this last week and said that he would like to encourage the Israeli people to get rid of their president, Netanyahu. What right do, does our president have to say that about Israel? And Netanyahu took it in stride. This is the thing. You, you should not play around with Israel like that. First, God's not okay with it. And plus, their military plays by different rules. You should be concerned about snipers. Just my thinking. He says, You will come from your homeland in the distant north with your vast cavalry, your mighty army. You will attack my people Israel, covering their land like a cloud. You say, well, it says right there it's gonna, they're going to attack the people. Except they never do. God says to God, come and you're going to attack the Israelites. Because if he would have said, Gog, come and get right to the border and then I'm going to slaughter everybody. Gog may not have been in favor of this. They never actually attack. They just talk about it. They're covering their land like a cloud. Hundreds of thousands, potentially um, over a million people are going to try to attack Israel. At that time in the distant future, which means not in Ezekiel's time, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches, and my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog. Then all the nations will know that I'm the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord asks. Are you the one I was talking about long ago when I announced through Israel's prophets in the future I would bring you against my people? But this is what the sovereign Lord says. When Gog invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. Interestingly about Israel, Israel nowhere in Scripture does it say that Israel defended themselves. They didn't pick up one sword, fire one gun, doesn't say, I mean, they might do it, but I don't think they do because it doesn't actually say that anywhere. And it also doesn't say that the land uh, called America comes and helps them or any other land. It says all of these hordes of armies, like the, like the clouds in the sky, there's so many, will come and then God is going to get upset about all this. In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel that day. All living things, fish in the sea, birds in the sky, animals of the field, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people on the earth will quake and tear at my presence. All the people on the earth. I think that's important. I'm gonna, this is what I was talking about last week. I'm going to show you something you haven't seen before. I probably haven't seen or thought this way. That's a right way to say it. About that. The entire earth will quake and tear at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down. Cliffs will crumble. Walls will fall to the earth. I will summon the sword against you all on the hills of Israel, says the sovereign Lord. And the hills of Israel just means the, the country of Israel. Okay, um, Your men will turn their swords against each other. So when all of these countries come and, and surround Israel, who's fighting whom? They're fighting each other. The... Israel doesn't have to rise up and fight. God causes them to fight each other. I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstorms, fire, burning sulfur. In this way, I will show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Son of man, they, the, the whole world, I believe, will be in awe and fear of God at that moment. So he repeats part of this in chapter 39. Son of man, prophesy against God. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. I am your enemy, O God, ruler of the nations of Meshesh and Tubal. I will turn you around and drive you toward the mountains of Israel, bringing you from the distant north. I will knock the bow from your left hand and the arrows from your right hand, and I will leave you helpless. 
You and your armies and your allies will all die on the mountains. I will feed you to the vultures and the wild animals. You will fall in the open fields, for I have spoken, says the Lord. I will rain down fire on Magog and on all your allies who safely live on the coast. And that's that, all those countries around the coast that we just talked about. Then they will know that I am the Lord. In this way, I will make known my holy name among my people of Israel, and I will not bring, let anyone bring shame to it. The whole world is trying to bring shame to Israel right now. The whole world is. The United Nations attack Israel daily. But this is the thing. It's because they're God's people, and Satan can't stand that, so he uses people against it. But at, at, at this moment, God's going to say, no, I, I'm in charge. All the ar- armies die immediately, <clears throat> excuse me, instantaneously around Israel, and, and Israel doesn't get one black eye. Don't you think the whole world's going to go, hmm, maybe we made a bad decision here. Maybe, maybe let, me, let me say this very clearly. Maybe the God of Islam that is driving all this is not that big. Maybe sovereign God is. <clears throat> that day of judgment will come, says the sovereign Lord. Everything will happen just as I declared it. Verse 11, Ezekiel 39. I will make a vast graveyard for Gog and his hordes. This is why I think probably Gog dies during this battle. Maybe not. Maybe it's just the graveyard for all of the, his people, but it says Gog too. And his hordes in the valley of travelers east of the Dead Sea. It will block the way of those who travel there, and they will change the name of the place to the Valley of Gog's Hordes. It will take seven months for the people of Israel to bury the bodies and cleanse the land. The seven months is not significant to us now. It just just shows us a time frame. But I believe when all this goes down, that the seven months will make sense then, and people will open their eyes even just because of that one sentence. And I think they will get it. Okay? Number four, the last one. Ezekiel 39 Verse 28, then my people will know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them away to exile and brought them home again. I will leave none of my people behind. Guys, that's huge. And I will never again turn my face from them for I will pour out my spirit. And this is the point. This is the purpose. For I will pour out my spirit upon the people of Israel. In New Testament, when Jesus says he's going to pour out his spirit, he's talking about bringing people into all truth and empowering us to witness about this truth. Pour out my spirit. As this hasn't happened yet, this is New Testament that he's talking about. This has not happened. So when he says he's going to pour out his spirit, it is to reveal Jesus as the, as the, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, and the point of all of this. It's to reveal Jesus. This battle is going to happen to, to reveal. The Holy Spirit is going to be poured out to reveal that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the point of this whole thing. That's actually the reason for Gog and Magog, the battle, is to reveal that Jesus is the Messiah. So timeline. I believe that the, um, I believe that the battle of Gog and Magog happens well before the, um, well before the tribulation. Okay? It has to happen after Israel's made a country, and then it's going to happen before the tribulation, I think. And part of the reason is because Ezekiel 40 is when it starts talking about the temple being built, and the temple has to be finished by the three-and-a-half-year mark when the Antichrist steps in. So country, and Israel becomes a country, Battle of Gog and Magog, starting and building the temple 
in the beginning of the tribulation is the building of the temple to the two and a half year mark. In fact, the two and a half year, uh, two and a half, three and a half year mark, when that happens, the three and a half year, that's when the, the Antichrist steps into the temple, declares himself to be God, and I believe what he's doing is he's dedicating the temple. That's the point of that. It's been being built, he dedicates it, but he declares himself to be God and desecrates it in the dedication process. Okay? You can read about that in 40 more, the building of that and everything. So I believe that the battle of Gog and Magog happens before the tribulation. So where does the rapture happen? Um, I'm strongly uh, pre-tribulation rapture. If you're not, that's fine. Um, you have to figure out different timelines for some of this. But I believe that the rapture happens in, in close, close coordination with um, the, um, the battle of Gog and Magog. Either right before, actually I believe that it's going to happen while... It, the battle is coming in while they're attacking all this stuff. Rapture takes place. God kills all the armies and the whole world. And here's a different view. This is what I'm going to tell you. Here's a different view of the way to look at uh, the signing of the peace treaty. The normal, traditional way to look. Most eschatology teachers, I've never seen anybody that says any different. That the Antichrist puts all this pressure on Israel because the whole world is mad at Israel and angry at Israel. And so the Antichrist is the broker and goes and convinces Israel that they need to sign this peace treaty. Here is my view. The battle of Gog and Magog just happened. God scared the bejeebies out of the whole world. And who is the focus and the one responsible? Israel. All these armies come up. God slaughters millions of people. And then Israel says, hey, I think we're going to build the temple. And everybody says, um, yes, sir, whatever you want to do, sir. Because they have no armies. They can't do anything about it. All their armies were just destroyed right there. And now Israel's in the driver's seat. And Israel says, we're going to build the temple. And we don't care what anyone thinks about it. We're going to build the temple. And the Antichrist rises to the surface and says, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we sign a peace treaty between um, all of our countries and you, Israel, so that you don't do this again to us? To me, that makes a whole lot more sense than Israel is this scared, cowering thing. Why would the whole world want to sign a peace treaty with Israel if they could just obliterate them? The reason they signed the peace treaty is because they're scared of Israel, not aggressive against Israel. Make sense? Put that in your bonnet and do something with it. I don't know what, I don't know what you do with bonnets. So, All right, guys, let's pray. Lord, we submit this to you. God, we see your word. Lord, we, you, we see where you have shown us, you've warned us. God, you showed us Israel was going to become a nation. God, so we submit ourself to your word. We submit ourselves to your timelines. Jesus, I believe you're coming back soon, very soon. And Lord, you, you said that you want to find a church that is faithful, that you want your people to have their lamps trimmed and burning. And so, Lord, we ask you to, to help us at Church of Prayer Gate. Help us to be that. Help this all through Colorado Springs, churches through the springs, that that they would be the people of faith following you. God, we so much need you above everything. Lord, I pray that these things don't, don't make us scared. 
But do we encourage each other with the reality that you're coming back and you're coming back soon. And Jesus, we thank you for this. We thank you. So Lord, as we get ready to take communion together, I ask you just to wash us with your blood. Forgive us. Make us the people you need us to be as we, as we get closer and closer to the end. Lord, make us the people you need us to be. And Lord, I pray for every group around the planet, the Jewish people, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists. Lord, I pray for atheists, agnostics, that they would come to know you, Jesus, and that you would use us to be a part of this, that they would come to know you, that the most important thing is that they know that you are their Savior and that they surrender themselves to you. So God, we believe this, we stand on this, and we declare this. We declare this by taking communion together. Take the little piece of bread. <clears throat> and I want, I want you to think about this. I want us to process this. That Jesus literally let them tear his body up and that that provides the healing. Yeah, if you need communion, raise your hand. They'll come around, help you do whatever. So if you ever see the thing sitting back there on the table, um, that means we're doing communion. That doesn't mean it's not decoration. Some people have them, some churches have them sitting out. That means we're doing communion, so grab them on your way in. But we have this opportunity to really recognize Jesus allowed his body to be torn apart. For what reason specifically? It's part of the redemption process, but it's specifically because he wants us to be healed. And he was providing that. The tearing apart of his body um, provides the, the spiritual concept for our bodies to be put back together. I don't understand how, but I know it's true because he tells us. He says that. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for what this little piece of bread represents. And Jesus, I pray for healing all across this room. Lord, you said it. It's there. So, Lord, we thank you for being brutalized so that we could be healed. Let's take it together. Thank you, Jesus. You are so worthy. You are so worthy, Jesus. Lord, you also gave us your blood. You poured out your blood so we could be forgiven and so we could be made right with God. So, Jesus, we honor that and we accept that this morning. And I'm declaring to myself, but I'm also declaring to my life, to my world, to my existence, that you're the king and you are coming back to get us. Lord, I pray that every one of us in this room, that we will be motivated to go and tell somebody in society that this week, that you are coming back. And you're coming back in power and in glory. And Jesus, you have forgiven us. So wash us clean. Forgive us right now. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Make me right with you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's take the drink together. Jesus, we commit ourselves to you and we thank you. We thank you for the amazingness of who you are. We thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. 
that you, that you forgive us over and over and over and over. Lord, I pray that, that for me and for every one of us in here that we would turn our eyes towards you and our lives become more about you every single day and less about ourselves, less about our world, less about the stuff and more about you. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord God. We so much thank you, Jesus. Amen. Don't forget to grab your cards if you need these, and also the uh, building campaign. Um, before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So we will see you Wednesday night. Uh, we will see you next weekend. Have a great rest of your afternoon.